0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Libertarian country is one of the fastest growing and most popular liberty themed apparel companies in the world. This American-based company was founded by two brothers out of Baltimore who had a vision to create an online store that offers fun, unique, and controversial political clothing and accessories. This five-star company offers the hottest shirts, hoodies, hats, and so much more. So check them out today. This is an independently owned, liberty-loving business that basically gives you the exact type of apparel and paraphernalia that you've wanted anyway. You just didn't know you wanted it now. Every purchase you make using the link in the show notes allows a small part of your purchase to come back and support the show. So go on, go grab some awesome libertarian country swag using that link in the show notes. You'll thank me later. Real fast, let me go ahead and tell you about inbox dollars. Are you looking for a side hustle so easy you could do it while sitting on the toilet or in between commercials watching your favorite show? Unless you're like on demand and commercials are like an ancient thing to you. Hear me out inbox dollars has your back for 20 years inbox dollars has paid over 59 million dollars in cash rewards to its members for doing everyday online activities such as reading emails taking online surveys playing games and watching videos and tv they also have ongoing promos and contests for members to win money online and they share the top ways for people to get beauty samples free printable coupons and other free online stuff with so many easy ways to earn extra cash online and having fun in the process, it's no wonder Forbes, Mashable, Bustle, and so many other trusted outlets name Inbox Dollars the easiest and fastest way to earn money online. If you're looking for a way to influence feature products and services while getting paid at the same time, then Inbox Dollars is for you. Click the special link in the show notes of this episode today and get $5 just for signing up. Get this $5 signing bonus just for creating an account. That's Inbox Dollars. The link is in the show notes of today's episode. Get it, get your $5, and get started. Yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. Ladies and gentlemen, you come here once again for the conversations that you can't get anywhere else. Well, I I mean, you could. But they'd be less fun and informative as to what you're getting here, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again. I'm your host, as always, Remso W. Martinez. You're listening to On the Run, and it, you know I just want to go ahead and thank you again. Recently, we had a new surge in reviews on iTunes and other platforms, and I, I stopped a few weeks ago asking you to do so. I didn't want to become repetitive and sound like I'm just going to keep bogging you down with that. But really, what, what's great is when I see this from a lot of new listeners. Uh, A lot of you have been with me for a very long time and to get new people coming in to have discussions and conversations that we're having and telling me and sharing with all of you what they've learned and what they enjoyed about it, it really keeps this going. And the one thing that I do want to ask because this ultimately helps dictate the direction of the show is go ahead and engage me on social media, but primarily Instagram. I've had a great time uh, really upping the number of Instagram stories that are out there, you answering the polls, you going ahead and submitting your questions, comments, concerns. It really has helped move the, the direction of the show in a way which is great for me because I get to go and talk about things that I otherwise wouldn't think about talking about, but it, it gives you the content you love. And, you know, the, the one thing that I've wanted to really stress recently is having conversations about things that are outside of what you would typically want to discuss. Um, you know having those conversations that some of you might not often be comfortable having and what we've seen the last couple of years Especially whether you know, you're on the the left or the right of politics Whether you come from one place or another or you're one ethnicity race gender You take one creed or religion or what have you, you know, the the age of comfort is over The age of comfort is over and that could be many things to many people But what this does do is, this opens up an opportunity for us to go ahead and have conversations. Outside of what we usually would, and today is one of those examples. I know that we have many women that uh, do listen to this show. It's you know, as many of you have seen, it's primarily a male audience. But you know, we we all have people in our life who we love who happen to be women. We all have family. We all have loved ones. And for many of you who are women who are listening to this, I understand that often it, it could be seen that I'm talking past you in some ways. I get that. It's how it's how men are. It's how women are. We're we're different in that way. But I wanted to go ahead and um, b- bring on this guest. I'll, I'll, I'll stop my rant now. We're going to have a great discussion. Our guest today is Kara Polson. She's an author, speaker, and intuitive, energetic healer. Her book is called The Hidden Gifts Within the Trauma of Sexual Abuse. She also runs a publishing company that is dedicated to helping women write their stories and bring them into the world. Kara, thank you so much for joining the program today. It's a blast to have you here, really.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I am so grateful to be here.
0: So I, I, I gotta ask off the bat. Energetic healer, that I've I've never really heard of that before. If you could kind of break that down for me and then we'll kind of jump into everything else, that'll be great. Because otherwise I'll just be here like, okay, I'm gonna ask. Is it the time to ask? Should I ask now? <laughs> I just want to kind of figure that out.
1: So, energetic healing is. I'm sure. Have you heard of Reiki before? Yeah. So it's just very similar to Reiki. It's just a different modality, but it's the same. Um, it's the same form in the fact that we're healing the body through the energetic space around the body and the energy within. So it's very spiritual based and it's very powerful. It's something that I help all of the women I work with. I teach them how to do their own daily energy healing so that they can stay in their highest vibration, be in creation. There's just so much that happens when you can jump into the energetics of your body and your emotions and not just the physical, tangible things.
0: This is one of those things that I probably a few years ago, I would have been more skeptical of, but if there's one thing I've understood, it's that we're, we're more than just our physical selves. I think often we really ignore the, the spiritual side of our life. And when it comes to, say, to such things such as mental health, emotional health, it was always, at least from what I gathered growing up, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a child of the 90s. It was always one of those things that was brushed aside. And, you know, growing up in in the United States, that is something that I I I just remember, you know, when when you want to discuss about things such as your, your emotional health, your mental health, your spiritual health. It's always kind of put on the backburn. We live in a very, you know, pick yourself by your own bootstraps, just toughen up and move on society. And I think for a lot of men, that that's really the case. I, I certainly know that I even find myself falling back into it. I think sometimes this also rubs off on the women in our lives. And when you look at such things as the Me Too movement and everything else that has happened really the, couple, the last couple of years, I think many of us, men included, are starting to understand that this is a part of our lives that we can no longer ignore. And with your book, The Hidden Gifts Within the Trauma of Sexual Abuse, it's a topic that you know many people aren't often comfortable having. For this show, I will let you know that we have never discussed this before. But this is one of those things that I, I definitely do want to jump into because the the big focus of this program is to find your sense of individual liberty in your life. You know, whether it's financial freedom, whether it's um, you know physical freedom, whether it's just understanding your own sense of purpose. Even though you know those things might seem a little bit more confined, there's a lot to it. So um, why did you write this book and what were some of your motivations in terms of what you wanted your readers, primarily your female audience, to get out of it?
1: So I wrote this book because I had just recently dealt with my own childhood sexual abuse trauma, something I'd always known about, but I was like, I'm fine, I'm strong this didn't really affect me. But like most childhood trauma, it doesn't usually show up till you're in your later 30s. And for me, it was like my early 30s, The the pain, the memories got triggered and they came out. And it was like, I was searching everywhere. There's got to be a book of hope. There's got to be something that's going to give me some tangible steps that I can use while I'm like drowning in this deep, deep pain. And when I looked everywhere, I looked, it was like memoirs, memoirs. And I was like, this is not what I need. I need a book. That's going to actually tell me that I'm going to heal. I need somebody who's told me that they've walked this path and that they are doing better. And so when I finally went through the healing process, spent a very long time in therapy, it was so clear that it was to be what I was to bring forward. I was to bring forward a book on one of the darkest topics possible that was filled with light, that was filled with hope. And truly I can speak now that there are gifts even in the darkest of the dark because healing always leads to more light. And so that's what brought me into writing this book.
0: How long would you say the process was when, when this but when this became something that you could no longer deny happened and as you're trying to process this in your everyday life, how long was it from when you began to notice it until you looked at the whole situation and you began to realize, okay, I can't do this on my own? Because I think a lot of people, when they when they look at situations, we often have what I consider like a TV mentality. If we're going to watch you know, uh, a sitcom or a drama or something, the whole situation is resolved in half an hour. But for many people involved in this, and I, I've, uh, you know, I have many friends who have served overseas in the military, for example, both men and women, for a lot of the traumas of what they see overseas, um, sometimes it, as soon as they get home, they're like, okay, now I'm home. Now I need to realize I'm home. Now I need help. Other people, it, I mean, it takes decades. And even when the, the signs are there of whether it was, you know, trauma from combat or trauma from sexual abuse or something like that, it, it becomes something where it's like they they see it and then they try and run from it. And then not until things get really, really bad that they're like, okay, now I need to actually confront this.
1: Yes. And I, I really want, I love that you pointed that out because for me, it's like, I always knew it was there, but I really did run. I ran from it my whole life, just being super busy. And how do I just not notice like the monster in the room? But when the pain showed up, like when it like, Ripped open my heart, and I knew, like, well, there's just no more running. I would say it took me about two weeks of serious, deep, deep, deep depression and pain before I went to my husband, and I was like, I need help. like i I can't actually do this one on my own. And that's when I began to go and see an EMDR therapist and really dove deep into rapid eye therapy
0: um for for those of those listening, I'll go ahead and out myself. Um, What what is that? What's what makes that different from, you know, more one on one traditional therapy?
1: Well, honestly, I'm a very spiritual person, and Mm -hmm. I'm a big God believer. And so what I did is I just started to pray like, God, I need the right therapist who's going to help me really heal this. I mean, I had five little kids when this happened. So I was like, I don't actually have time to be depressed, nor does this serve anyone if I can't get out of bed. So I was like, God, I need the right therapist now. And so I sent a message out on Facebook, like, Hey, I'm just looking for a therapist or a friend. (laughs) I was like, not in a place to share how, how hard life was for me. And when five people came back with this one therapist name, like I knew that was like God's answer. So she, she happened to be a rapid eye therapist. I wouldn't have just chosen that. It was more like, God just guided me to her. And now on the other side of therapy, and as I've talked to so many survivors, rapid eye therapy seems to be the number one way to heal through this type of trauma. So that's something that I always am encouraging as it's just a really powerful way of getting into the brain and actually healing the patterns that got connected when you were traumatized, when you had your trauma. It's a way of disconnecting those patterns and releasing you from the pain.
0: So, the, so to kind of understand it, um, I'm, try, I'm trying to find the right way to put it. Uh, was it, when you would have those moments where you just get overwhelmed by your own depression your own anxiety, were there, were there certain triggers that caused certain behaviors to come out? Or was it just, you know, because I know for a lot of folks, I, I live right outside of D.C., the one thing I see from a lot of people who I can just tell are often trying to escape something is they drown themselves in work. I, I know that about myself. I am a workaholic, and sometimes it's to my own detriment because, yeah, I'm making all this progress, but I'm not actually making progress on the reason why I'm here. Um, you know, what, what, what were some of the things that were kind of those barriers that you you had to work through?
1: Well, the pain showed up because someone I knew came to me and told me that they had been sexually abused. So that was the trigger that it was like, I always see it like, um, in that friends episode where Monica had the closet and it was like, nobody knew what was behind the closet. And then they Mm -hmm. opened it and it just like all came out. That's what happened is like this one experience of knowing somebody else and feeling how hard it was for them. It was the opening of my door and all my pain just came out. And it wasn't like it kept getting triggered. It was like the closet just kept opening. And so it was two weeks of like pain that I've been holding in for 30 plus years was now like present. It was like, there was no more running. There was no more hiding. It had to be cleaned up.
0: And how long into these specific sessions did it take for you to finally begin to see that you were making some type of progress?
1: It was interesting about rapid eye because I've actually done a lot of therapy in my life. That's why I thought it was fine. I was like, I've done a lot of therapy, but might as well try
0: something else,
1: but it was like, it needed a different form and it was painful. Every time I went, I, I remember feeling like Like my skin had just been peeled off. Like every time I went to therapy, I felt more pain. But I would say about a month in, I started to feel a shift. And it wasn't a shift in my pain. It was a shift in the way I connected to others. So it was a shift in the way I was finally able to connect to my children, where before my pain had actually blockaded A deeper connection with them that I didn't even see or know before. So it was like shifts in my daily life. And then the pain did begin to ease, but it was, it was more of the miracles that I saw the miracle in my marriage began to heal because here I was finally healing the blocks that had been holding me back from a deeper relationship.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely understand what you mean by that. I'm I'm not ashamed to admit it, but you know, I, I I went through a period where I also had to work with a professional, and that was one of those things that I I, I began to notice. That was when I began to personally feel progress because it's one thing for you to see how you feel about yourself as you're going through your day to day life. But then when you begin to see your relationships around you change, that's when, you know, it's actually working because it's almost on a subconscious level that you're interacting in this way without the intention of, of the change itself. Um, What, what made this different from other more traditional forms of therapy? I mean, it wasn't just you and you you and them talking on a couch, kind of like a, you know, those newspaper cartoons or was it like that?
1: No, no, that's why I think it was different, right? Like talk therapy is really powerful, but it's not what I needed. Like I didn't need to talk to somebody. I needed to actually rewire my brain patterns. And so the way that my therapist had me do it was that she would get me into a very deep, 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 relaxed state. And then she would have me talk about one of the painful things that was showing up. And that's when she would have me blink my eyes. And that's why it's called rapid eye therapy. The blinking, while you actually are moving your eyes at the same time, technically, and I'm not a therapist, so I don't actually know every piece of this, but what I understood was the blinking while feeling the emotion of pain broke the patterns in my brain. It broke the patterns of needing to always have that pain. It broke the memories that were attached to that pain. And that's why this felt so much more productive the talk therapy.
0: Is it almost comparable to that of like a guided meditation in a way?
1: Well, definitely. There is some, some part of the same feeling, like you're getting into that lower relaxation place before you jump into the work.
0: Um When you looked at the other books out there that, you know, weren't providing you the answers that you wanted, what what were some of the bigger takeaways that you wanted your readers to have when they read this apart from just the actual uh, styles and opportunities that are out there for them to seek the help? What was what you really wanted them to take home with?
1: So the thing that changed my life was when I realized that all the things that I dealt with in my life. Cause since I was 14, I dealt with suicide ideation, which is just horrible thoughts and feelings of committing suicide. And it was like, not my personality. And so I always had this huge shame. Like, why do I have these feelings? And then when I started to do healing work and I found, Oh, this is just a symptom. Like if I were to have the chickenpox, my symptoms would be Like I would have red dots all over my body. Oh, like being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse can lead to the symptom of suicide ideation. And that freed me. Like I was like, oh, this, this isn't because I'm a horrible person. It's a symptom, which means I can heal it, which means it no longer has to be a part of my life. And so my biggest hope was that as readers read my book, they would see themselves in the book of like, oh, these things I've struggled with are just symptoms. That means that they're not me. And that that means I can be free from them because they're just a symptom of what I went through. And I wanted them to walk away with hope. Like, oh, there is hope. There's hope beyond this. There's hope for a life that is greater than I could have imagined past my trauma.
0: The, the one thing that I will definitely admit I was pretty callous about was when stories over the last couple of years of, Of people you would never have thought had any type of you know let's say emotional baggage for example whether they're politicians celebrities public figures what have you what began to make the change in how i saw this whole situation was when people i know uh started coming out about their stories um you know with with women you you almost expect okay based off the odds of how things are if you have x amount of friends who are women based off the studies, one or more of them will have possibly come across some type of abuse like this. What really shocked me was when men who I am friends with, who I, I I mean, one or two of them, they're, they're people like they're, they're your traditional machismo type of guy. They're your guy's guy. When they came out about it and then you're just taken back, you're like, oh, well, damn, that's, that's serious, because if they're going to come out about this, it's obviously something that, I mean, there, there's no joke. There's no punchline. It's it's serious. There's no other reason for them to do it. And I mean, all of them, regardless of, you know, whether they were men or women, they, they were all in incredibly strong people. I just, and this is from the outsider looking in, I didn't I didn't understand, okay, why didn't you tell somebody? Why didn't you tell your parents? Why didn't you contact the authorities? Why did you let so much of this time evolve? And I mean, the, the one thing that I, I constantly heard was fear. It, it's it's fear of not just having to relive it, but it's fear of the judgment from others. Um, what What are some of the stories you've heard from people who finally came to this realization that, okay, I need to finally come out with this, whether it's to my immediate family, whether it's to a spouse or somebody else, or even just opening up to a stranger, such as a, a counselor or a therapist, what, what do you think are some of those roadblocks for people?
1: Well, I think shame is a huge one. Um, sexual abuse has such a It's just horrible and shame. You feel ashamed for what happened. You feel ashamed for having to share it. So shame is like, since I'm a big energetic person, if we were to look at the energetic scale, there's this beautiful energetic scale And shame is actually the lowest energy possible that you could feel before death. It's just, it's just, there's no energy flowing there. So if you have so much shame because of what happened to you, and usually, especially children who've been sexually abused, their abuser has twisted it in a way that has made them feel like it was their fault. And that's just how most abuses, right? Physical abuse, like mental abuse. A lot of it is doused in lies and shame. So if a little child has been fed this and has been traumatized, there's no way they're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be so afraid of getting in trouble. They're going to be so afraid of what people will think about him. I mean, honest to goodness, when I launched my book, this is not a topic that I used to talk about. And I got a lot of people who kind of were not that nice to me, right? And here I am like a grown woman sharing a story of hope and peace and a lot of like, oh, we're so sorry for you. And I was like, that's not why I wrote a book. So like, even when you're grown, even when you share in such a healthy and healing way, people don't know how to respond in healing ways, right? Like, it's just not positive. So 100%, that's my belief of why people don't share And why they just carry it for so long.
0: Um, How long after your book came out, did you begin to hear, uh, you know, of, of positive stories of people picking it up, actually reading through it and beginning to apply a lot of the teachings and lessons in there?
1: I would say right away. I mean, they're very. Here's the thing about writing a book on this topic is that people who read it most likely don't want to reach out and tell me that they've read it. People don't want to be seen buying it, right? It's not like some book that they want to be carrying into the doctor's office, right? right? So the very few who've been willing to give me comments and feedback has been like deep, heartfelt gratitude. Gratitude that they no longer feel alone and gratitude that there are some actual steps on how to begin healing and working through it.
0: That's, um, as... As an author myself, it's definitely one of those things where it, it doesn't become real until people really begin to come out and tell you how, it, how it's impacted them. So I, I totally understand it. Um, do you think that if, if your book had come out maybe, let's say, five years ago? people would have been as open to it because I'm definitely seeing, and I I, I graduated from undergrad in in 2017 and even in like a campus culture, so to speak, I I went to more, I, I went to Liberty university. So we're looking at a private Christian school, very conservative, even there it's, you know, it's something where it's like you could, if there were there were therapists on campus, there were counselors on campus. They were always letting you know about programs out there for victims of situations like this. But even then, when I compared it to some of my my other friends and peers who went to other universities that were different from it, even then it was still, you know, a culture of, okay, we can we can talk about it. It's there, just putting it out there, but we're gonna put it in the corner. Do you think that, you know? particularly in in the United States, people have become more willing to actually, you know, confront this issue more head on than we have traditionally in the past.
1: Totally. I feel like it's become the topic that everyone is starting to become aware of that this is the problem. Like this is not just like, Oh, only a handful have dealt with this. Like, no, statistically one in four, and those are the ones that have told the authorities. like how many haven't told the authorities? this is so rampant and i feel like finally finally there's an awakening happening where people are aware of it and hopefully by awareness those numbers will decrease.
0: Absolutely. I mean the the change only comes when people begin to really start to make the the real changes in their own lives. And it's, it's always amazing. I mean, sometimes for, for massive change to occur, it just takes one person, but no one ever wants to be that one person. That's what makes it such a, such a courageous act in a way, um, to kind of pivot a little bit. This is where I I really want to jump into it because this is an area that I'm, I'm rather ignorant of. Um, I, I've always been of the belief, you know, that, and, and I even see this amongst, you know, many religious circles, um, my, my brother and I are, you know, we something we do ourselves is that we, we, we really try and look into the world of the paranormal and the supernatural. And I'm not just talking ghost hunting. I mean, we've, we've looked into psychic phenomenon. Um, everything that kind of falls under that and people even religious people they tend to view this as something that's really just kind of out there a bit but when you look at the world whether you're coming from it from a christian perspective from a buddhist perspective my my grandmother on my mom's side is buddhist you know humanity itself is always somewhat agreed that if you're going to believe in this spiritual aspect of the world it's that you really have to view things outside the physical and even though people might believe in that culturally to a large degree when you begin to talk about things such as you know what what is reiki or what is energetic healing it's still a topic that is somewhat seen as taboo so how did this aspect of your life come into play
1: well i grew up with two parents who were therapists who actually turned into healers so in my world that was that was just the world I knew. I knew healing, and I knew all these different aspects of it. So, actually, before I dived in and did all of my my deep rapid eye therapy, I began an energetic healing um, coaching program where I it was called muscle testing, which is a type of kinesiology. We work with the subconscious and we clear out old patterns and belief systems and um, very very spiritual work. And that was something I loved so much. And then when I did my deep, deep healing of myself, it's like my gifts really woke up and I was able to uh, do even deeper work, which means as crazy as this must sound, when I get in and I start doing healing work in someone's body, there's seven spaces of the body called chakras. And I would be able to hear what was stuck in their chakra. I could hear what wasn't working anymore and I could be able to clear it out. So that's that was like a byproduct of me doing my own healing, is that my spiritual healing gifts woke up even deeper. And that's now what I teach women how to do is how to do their own healing work through their chakras so that every single day they can get up and serve higher and be brighter because they're more in alignment inside of their spiritual energetic self.
0: I, I, I think I see where you're coming from. Um, you know, One of the biggest things that had a, an actual impact on me when I moved back to the uh, Northern Virginia, D.C. area was just I, w- where did I feel my own fulfillment? My fulfillment comes from work. I, I, I like what I do for a living. I like my job. I like having 20 million different things to do. I think it's a, I think it's a cultural byproduct. I've seen this when I lived overseas. I lived in Australia. And I mean, Australians are the most laid back people. I even see this in in Canada, for example. Um, Canadians are extremely laid back. I think it's part of our own cultural work ethic that we like to be busy and we like to constantly be productive. It's like when, I mean, I can go on the street and introduce myself to people and ask them how they are, you know, instinctively, what is it? Oh, I'm so busy. Oh, I've got to get this done. And it's not a bad thing. We 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 value progress. I think that's a, a positive thing. We value people being productive, but you know, especially in my life, when it got to a point where it's like, I'm, am I being productive because I want to be, or am I doing so for its own sake? I mean, those are two very non-exclusive things. When I began to really look into my own my own spiritual healing and understanding that. I mean, you you are impacted by everything around you in this world of constant connectivity. What, what, one of the first things I tried, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, I'm, I'm a, I, I like to listen to Joe Rogan. And one of the things that he mentioned on his program was that he has his own float tank. And if you had told me that, you know, float tank therapy was an actual thing, I would have thought that was crazy. All you're doing is you're lying there in a dark, isolated, in some cases it looks like a meat locker. Like it's it was not what I considered a good time. But over the last three years alone, like I try and make it something I at least do every season. So when the seasons change, I try and do this. I mean, it was almost like, uh, how, how do I put this? Um if it's getting too out there, stop me. But like it, it was almost like I, I felt like a human tuning fork, just constantly moving, just constantly reacting. I'm I'm not processing, I'm just reacting to things. And my stress and anxiety was just going crazy. Doing that alone, that that experience of of floating, not being able to hear anything, being in a completely dark environment, just being able to let your body go each time I do that, I almost feel like I'm more awakened to the world around me. I can sleep better than I've ever slept before that. And while I don't, I've known many people that have also tried it and some are like me and they definitely see more of a spiritual output of it. It's like sometimes we just need our body and our mind and our soul just to get at the same frequency sometimes. And other people do it because they're like, well, this is the only way I can be away from my phone for an hour is the only way I could be away from everybody for an hour. I think regardless of what tactics or what techniques are used, the, the one thing that has come, become very clear to me is that if we ignore that spiritual side of us, the fact that you know we are energy, we live in a world and an existence of energy, if we ignore that, we're going to constantly fall into these pitfalls of our own life because we're just ignoring that there it's like if you're if you're driving a car and you're on a bumpy road okay you can ignore the potholes that are damaging your car but the potholes are still there and the damage is being done and you're gonna have to fix it it's only a matter of time of when you're going to identify one maybe i should stop driving on that road two i need to get this car repaired i mean it's it's something that I feel many people just really want to block off.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love, I love all of this one. I've never done that. It's like a major goal. I really oh, want to do that. It's,
0: it's, it's fun. Like really it, it was, it, I can't, I can't, like, I can't, I can't do it justice to explain it. The first yeah. time I did it I was completely sober, just did it on a, on a, on a spur of the moment type of thing. Like it was one of the strangest moments of my life yeah
1: i i I just feel so strongly this is probably one of my favorite topics which is the topic of having stillness and connecting within and connecting to a higher power for me that's god but it's whatever you connect to in a higher way to have that stillness is the key of all the goodness like it's it's what you're saying like you slept better you felt better like it's not only just because you were floating, it's because you were still, because you were so present with yourself, which is such a healing aspect for every single human, especially, especially right now, as the world is like falling apart, the energy everywhere, you even just go into Walmart and it's like the energy is so filled with fear and and um, it's so agitating to our nervous system that it's vital that we take time to connect within and connect above. And this goes perfect with what I'm giving all of your listeners, which is my seven day sacred space practice. It's how to create a sacred space like a floating tub, but something that you can use every day in your life so that you're going in and you're like cleaning out your nervous system, cleaning out your energy and connecting to a higher power.
0: That that's, that's awesome. Um, Can can you kind of break it down for us? Like what, what is the mindset going into this and what should people expect as they go through the process?
1: So sacred space is my favorite topic because it's, I mean, I have five children ages five to 15 and I run a publishing house, a mastermind. I have two podcasts, a jewelry line. Like I got lots of businesses and lots of kids. So the only way I can do that is because I have a sacred space because every single morning I have a place that's dedicated to my sacred work, which is being still journaling, learning, connecting to my higher power. And so what I did is I create a seven day workshop all through email where I teach the exact steps on how to locate a sacred space in your house. Like What's a great place in your house to do this? How are we gonna energetically cleanse it? Because everything, like you said, has energy and the memories that have happened in that space are held in our energy there. So we, I teach you how to cleanse it. I teach you how to do a daily cleanse on yourself. And I teach a bunch of different tools that you can use in a sacred space. So it's like A to Z, how to find and how to create your practice. And to me, this is exactly how I'm able to hold all that I hold because of this quietness in my life.
0: Who are the best people to consider doing this program? Because in, you know, in, in our time, everyone is working. If, you know, if, if you have been able to keep your job, our, our whole world has changed. And the, the one thing I see is that, you know, it, it's funny. I see this with college students. Well, I don't just have a job. I have a side hustle. Oh, and I don't just have that. Me and, me and my significant other, we've got a, a, an MLM or something. It seems like we're constantly finding reasons to be busier but we're never giving ourselves the opportunity to try and calm down and rest and I mean for for some people it almost seems like you're asking them to, to pause a bit and there's yeah. there's strength in that pause but who, who are the people that if they're just thinking, oh maybe this is something I'm too inter- I should be interested in but I'm I'm just too busy. who, who are those people that you really think would benefit from this?
1: I feel like everyone can benefit from this, whether you're a stay at home mom, whether you're a mom who works, whether you are a man who works out of the house or works in the house, whether you have kids or not kids. I mean, my husband is not like me in the sense of our spirituality. Like he's more of a man, man. Right. And I would say that I'm just super deeply spiritual yet when I have been working with him and we've been creating a sacred space practice with him, like massive miracles have been happening and that's not his zone. And yet, even just the practice is being so uh, miraculously applied, like it just happens. And so if I have teenagers and I've been teaching them, you know, before you jump on your phone in the morning, let's access that subconscious part of your brain by doing something that's like connecting within. So they don't get their phones unless they have some sacred space. And each one of them, like they've come to me and told me the impact it's had on them. Now their sacred space is like five minutes. That's cool. Let's start somewhere, you know. Like let's just start somewhere where you're not rolling out of bed and heading straight into technology. Let's let's roll out of bed and connect within before we jump into the busyness of the day.
0: Um, I, I, I want to pick your mind on this. I my biggest worry about the world post pandemic is this. I, I really think the biggest cultural schism is going to be in terms of. Economics, and by that I mean the people that can work from home and the people that don't that are not able to work from home. I see that happening, and I also see that technology. If we thought that you know automation, all these things were coming eventually, I think this whole thing is sped it up. If there was ever a time for people to try and make significant changes, we face. All these different evolving obstacles that are going to affect everybody from the CEOs to the fry cooks and everybody in between. It's that now I think, I I feel personally that we're getting to a point where we can choose to ignore this, but it's only going to become more harmful if we really ignore the spiritual side of our life. Um, What What do you see as like maybe some positive outcomes from this? I I definitely have seen that within my own life and within the lives of my friends and family is that we've begun to really look into the things with all the extra time we have with everything being closed. um, We're looking into things that make us happy, whether it's just finding time to read, whether it's finding time to do. I, I have a friend that started guided meditation, never knew he was into that but he's, he's seen some drastic <laughs> change. Like his blood pressure went down drastically, his resting heart rate. I mean, he just noticed those things. Um, wh- what are some benefits you see from this whole situation? Because even though it's, it's a dark time for the world, there are some spots of our own lives where we can see some some good occurring. And in moments like this, it's, uh, I, I definitely see this as one of those things. I mean, at least I know for myself, I thought that I was going to be more productive now than any other point in my life. I'm going to write another book. I'm going to do 20 million podcasts. I'm going to do so much stuff for my employer and I'm going to lose a ton of weight. And, you know, several months in, I'm like, I, I can't do this. I was achieving a lot, but I was more burned out than ever. The gift that I gave myself was the gift was, was the gift of rest. So, I mean that despite everything going on, I've had some challenges, this is one of those things that I don't think I would have really been able to find if not for going through this dark period in mankind in a way.
1: Well, I, I feel like you've nailed it right there. Is I think that right now is the opportunity for some pretty profound healing. I've talked to a lot of people, especially mothers, where they're like, whoa, I didn't know my kids were struggling with A, B, and C because I was too busy. I didn't know that they were dealing with all these issues because we had too much going on. They were going to soccer and school and I had five jobs like, Oh, Whoa, we shut everything down. And now the real issues get to come up to the surface and begin to be healed. And, you know, we get to like, get back into nature. Like nature is our source of deep, deep connection within and to to our higher power, to joy, to happiness, and all of a sudden, you take away movie theaters and you take away bowling, and you're like, "What do we do? Let's go hiking." Oh wait, I forgot. Like hiking brings me joy, you know. Like we're just like being reminded, and I think it's so it's so imperative this idea of burnout because right now, that's actually the podcast I'm watching on my show today is healing burnout because that's kind of like what's happening. Is there's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was so burnt out. And now I'm like past burnt out. How do I jump back in? And that's this beautiful healing period right now is how do we heal the burnout that's just been happening everywhere?
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that alone, I, people have spoken about it. But it was like one of those things where it's like, okay, we, we all know it's there. It's the big open secret, but we don't want to talk about it. Because then what you have, and I, I blame social media for this. My my full-time job, I'm I'm a social media coordinator. I think social media is great for the world. I also think that it's extremely detrimental to the psychology and well-being of a lot of people. Very few people in this specific career field deny that because we're still trying to understand it. I, I always thought it was interesting years ago, before I even thought this was something I was going to do, that um, the number one um specific degree program that uh like facebook and google were looking into in terms of their new applicants it had nothing to do with technology it had nothing to do with engineering coding it was psychologists and i thought like what what does psycho- what does a psychology major what, what are they going to do to benefit facebook or twitter or google but what we're seeing right now is it's completely you know rewiring how we behave and how we interact with the world around us and when, when it comes specifically to burnout, this constant need to, to be productive just for productivity's own sake, I mean, the, the one thing that I had to confront with myself during this period was that, why, why do I feel guilty when I'm not doing anything? I, I tried to watch a movie on Netflix for the first time in probably years without having my laptop on and working. And yeah. I, I just thought, it's like, how is this a break if I'm still working? I feel like it's almost like a withdrawal. It, it's very, it's not, I wouldn't say that it's a negative energy that I feel that it's put out into the world. But what we're all doing is we're forcing everyone around us to catch up. But the thing is, no, no one can do that.
1: Hmm. Hmm. So oh, I so agree with you. I feel like that's why I'm so, such a believer of sacred space is because I think that's what fills our cup That's actually what allows us to not have a burnout. And then I feel like there's just three main components that I have seen in my own life because I have felt massive burnout and have been just like, how do I get my fire alive again? Like, how do I, instead of it just like being this smoke pile, I want it like burning and raging. And the three things that are so strong for me is like a consistent learning, like learning something that's going to make my life better. That's going to give me a new skill. Learning is like one of the best ways that we can be doing right now with all this spare time. What's that course? What's that skill? What's that thing that somebody's been wanting to learn, go and take it on. And it's going to fuel you because learning is always a way to add to your energy. And then I am a big believer of having massive fun. Like actually like deep gut giggles, like having fun, something that you love to do. And now like, this is a time, like if we're not super busy, like explore that conversation. How, how do we have fun? What do I even like to do? I talk to so many women and there's probably a million men out there where you say, what do you love to do for fun? And they're like, I have no idea.
0: It's so so weird. It's so weird that you say that I, I was, I, I took a, I took a road trip. I had some vacation days I had to use up and t- talk about times to do it in the midst of riots and pandemics and murder, hornets <laughs> and UFOs oh in Iowa. But like, I I would, I would meet people, especially around my age. It's easier for me to, you know, spark conversation with somebody, if I could tell that we're probably of the same generational mindset. And it's like, you talk to people and, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, what do you like to do? People. Maybe this is just a me thing, but people don't really have hobbies anymore. Yeah, And the one hobby that I often hear is, oh, you know, I, I like to watch Netflix. Now, I'm going to preface this. Watching Netflix is not a bad thing, but that's not a hobby, I, I at least in my opinion. Yeah. You're not engaged with it. You're not doing something to, to really activate a different part of your brain that otherwise is, you're keeping dormant. I mean, what, what, what do you think are some of the biggest distractions from us focusing on really what makes us want to live as people? And I do think that because men and women are just, are, are just different, we all have unique things that we often ignore in each other. And this is one of the things, I, I've been in a relationship for five years. That was something I had to learn. It was my longest relationship. She's different from me. We speak differently sometimes. We, we, we will just instinctively do things that are unique to maybe who we are as people. But often, I think a lot of people are just ignoring that part of themselves. What, what are some of the biggest obstacles you see between men and women in finding that ability to really focus in on themselves, to finally say, I'm going to do something for my own sake that might not... out be you know be a be a big output. It might not change my job. It might not make me rich, but something that I do just for me.
1: Yeah. I feel like I mean this is just my own belief, but I I feel like you have to get to the point of like no return where like your life isn't happy enough and you're finally like, I'm gonna do something different about it. I'd love to say that like most people are just going to choose that out of nowhere, but it kind of comes from that place of like, oh my gosh. Like I want to be living. It has to come from a desire. And I always tell people, if you don't have the desire, start asking for it. Like start praying. Just give me a desire. Give me a desire to live deeper, to live happier, to live my purpose. And just that simple, simple ask, you'll start to then feel. You'll feel this want and the wants will always lead you to where you need to go.
0: I, I agree completely. So we're, you know, we, we've covered a lot of stuff in a very short amount of time. I've greatly appreciated this conversation for you taking the time to speak with me and my audience. If people want to go ahead and check out your website, see a lot of the awesome things that you're doing out there, how can they do so?
1: Um, everything is super easy. My website's just my name, Kira Polson. And I share a lot on Instagram, which is just also my name, Kira Polson.
0: Awesome. Well, Kara, I I have greatly appreciated this. I know that this is going to definitely, if it helps one person listening today, I I definitely will have felt you know that this this was a conversation that we need for our times and i mean like i said at the beginning of the show the age of comfort is over and by comfort it wasn't even a comfort that we wanted it was a comfort of ignorance it was a comfort of you know willingly turning on our blinders to certain aspects of the world around us and the world we carry with ourselves so i'm gonna go ahead and link to everything in uh including uh what you mentioned earlier about giving people a chance to go ahead and connect with you um, for a week, everything is in the show notes, folks. And you know, if you appreciate conversations like this, reach out. Let me know what you want to hear more of. Let me know what topics you want us to, you know, keep keep continuing, or maybe take a different branch on, and, and we'll definitely do it from there. As always, I'm Remso W Martinez. Go ahead and find me across social media. You know how the amazing internet works. At Hey Remso, H E Y R E M S O, and uh, I'll talk to you later. As always, have a great night. And Take care wherever you are. Bye. Check
1: out our other shows and more from the We Are Libertarians Network at wearelibertarians.com.